Yo, yo, what's up, everybody? It's Sathya Sam here. Welcome to Unleash the Man Within. Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, man, I just want to say thanks for um, all of our listeners. We really could not be what we are and do what we do if it weren't for your listenership and your support. Uh, one of the things that we try to do to make this podcast worth your while is bring on world-class guests, people who you know walk the walk, talk the talk, and have some kind of value to provide. And I can pretty confidently say that today's episode, you will see that we did exactly that. We're sitting down with Nate Larkin. Nate Larkin is the founder of Samson Society. He's the author of Samson and the Pirate Monks. And <laughs> this guy is just unbelievable. He really, I mean, there are a few people that I would say were pioneers in the porn addiction, sex addiction recovery space, um, especially in a Christian context. And I don't even know who else I would put at the top of that list with Nate. I mean, he he's up there, maybe alone. There's probably a couple others I'm not thinking of off the top of my head, but we owe a great deal to this guy. And if you benefited from really any of the listeners we've brought on in this space and certainly this podcast itself, really, we all have Nate to thank. He has pioneered so much and he is just incredibly humble for the impact he's had in our world. So we talk about a bunch of things today. We got into his story. Guys, his story, I mean, I just feel like if he can get clean, then I don't see why anybody else couldn't. Like, he he went through absolute hell, the worst of worst, and he really found a way out. And the way he found it out is is rather simple. It's it, there's a complexity to it, but it's it's pretty basic. And we're gonna kind of get to that. But I want I really wanted you guys to understand his story first before we went there. So that's kind of what we do in the first half. You can obviously jump ahead if you don't want to hear another story, but uh, you would be missing out on so much gold. There's so many nuggets he dropped in the story. And then on the back half. We start to really talk about recovery, we talk about community, we talk about why accessibility is superior to accountability and a whole bunch of other good stuff. So you're going to enjoy it all. And um, man, I just consider it such a privilege to sit down with guys like these. So I hope you enjoy my conversation here with Nate Larkin. Enjoy. So here's the million dollar question. How are men like us who work hard, have good motives and a God-given purpose supposed to fulfill the calling on our lives and the dreams in our hearts? all while establishing sexual integrity, thriving relationships, and a meaningful connection with God? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Sathya Sam. Welcome to Unleash the Man Within. Well, here we are with Nate Larkin of Samson Society. Nate, welcome to the podcast, man. Oh, thanks for having me, Sathya. I've been looking forward to this conversation. Yeah, well, uh, as far as I'm concerned, you and a small handful of people are really the pioneers, like the people whose uh, shoulders we're all standing on in 2023 when we're recording this. So I cannot thank you enough for all you did. Um, you know, authoring, I think Pirate Monks was uh, was a game changer, what you've done with Samson Society, all of it, man. And uh, yeah, I, I just, I can't imagine like, I guess just sticking yourself out there on the internet back in like the early 2000s. Like, I don't know, what was that like? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you what, there was some panic in the Larkin house. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I had, <laughs> my wife was just nervous as, as everything. And, you know, yeah. I, I had siblings saying, please don't do this. You know, the, of course, the fear <laughs> was that we would bring shame upon the family, shame upon me. I'd lose a cri Christian witness. Uh, we'd lose friends. Yeah. Right. People would people would run when they found out that. Nate Larkin, who'd always projected himself as a bright and shiny Christian man, uh, you know, 
could possibly have been a sex addict. Yeah. 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 It's amazing, man. Well, uh, kudos to you. And uh, you you probably just, you you won't see on this side of heaven the level of impact your courage uh, and bravery have had, but it's, uh, I'm, I know I'm super grateful. So, uh, man, we have so so much to get into because you you have a, a, a really amazing story and uh, you, you sent me your your video with I am second, which I thought was amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and I, th- I, th- I know you talk a little bit about kind of that fear of losing everything. Maybe, maybe we'll start there and then I'd love to, to get into Samson society eventually. But, um, how, how did this all start, man? What's, what's the story? Well, uh, you know, the story is that I grew up in a Christian home, uh, a very religious Christian home. My dad was a pastor. I grew up in the holiness tradition of Western okay. Christianity. So, uh, it was all about uh, Christian perfection, about doing things right. And uh, and I'm a compliant performer <laughs> and, 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 and want to be a good guy. And uh, but everything got complicated for me at puberty. Hmm. Uh, first of all, the discovery of pornography took me completely by surprise. We'd never talked about sex in the house and never, certainly nobody even suggested that something like porn even existed. So uh, I was just buffaloed when I ran into it for the first time Hmm. and did not understand kind of this electric surge in my body (laughs) because I, you know, (laughs) but the one thing I knew was we hadn't talked about it, so we couldn't talk about it. Mm. It was bad, so I had to hide it. Part of it was part of my responsibility as a Christian never to bring shame upon the name of Jesus. So, um, yeah. so I, I could, I really didn't feel as though I felt tremendous shame, shame for having seen it, shame for having liked it. Yeah. Um, and so I learned. I scrambled, did my best to control it, but this curiosity that had been kindled in me had an appetite of its own Mm. and uh, it didn't matter how many times i told myself uh that i would not go back of course i always went back so but but this is back uh in the early days this is long before the internet okay and it's okay so and it's not even hardcore porn it's men's magazines it's playboy it's uh which (laughs) ironically enough i could find in the paper drives that we did for the youth group for our little Baptist church. So um, weird. even church members would conceal one of those uh, (laughs) magazines in the bundle of newspapers that that we picked up. Uh, So I learned to scout for those and then, you know, build a stash and do all that kind of stuff, but always racked by guilt. Periodically I do, I'd binge and purge started that cycle early. Right. Um, and, and of course, repent with tears at every big church event, you know, the, the youth rally, the evangelistic crusade, uh, youth camp, uh, when I went to get, you know, resaved. And then once again, I would promise I'd, I'd get this sense of, you know, I'm clean for a few days, maybe at the yeah. very most. And then I'd be back in it again. So anyway, on to college. I, uh, I got a scholarship to college. Uh, much to my father's disappointment because it was not a Christian school. Um, uh, And I got a job in the library where they had (laughs) in the periodical section where I worked bound volumes of Playboy magazine from the very first issue. Jeez. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) 
So, uh, you know, that was a, so finally in college, I told myself that it was time just to um, get realistic, join the 20th century. Um, I needed sex education. What better place to get it than porn? Right. Uh, I told myself that porn now was preparation for marriage. Right. <laughs> Unaware that I was actually poisoning my marriage, you know, yeah. allowing porn to create expectations for marriage that no woman on the planet would ever be able to fulfill. Uh, but that's how I lived with myself during those years. Of course, kept it hidden from my Christian friends because I always gravitated toward leadership. So soon I'm mm. the president of the Campus Christian Fellowship. And and then I meet Allie. My God, just <laughs> fell in love oh so hard <laughs> and and it was relief because i knew that that marriage would solve the porn problem right classic yeah right yeah <laughs> and i did not understand that my porn use had started really you know it's it's a maladaptive response to trauma it was my way of it was stress reduction behavior, distress reduction behavior. Hmm. Um, and marriage is stressful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> and stress is a trigger for porn use. So, uh, hmm. oh my gosh, how what a disappointment to, to be married to a wonderful woman, a beautiful woman, a desirable woman. Yeah. But but the desire for porn hadn't gone away. And porn also invaded what little intimacy I, I had. I, so at this point, emotionally stunted, as most porn addicts, sex addicts are, I didn't know how to connect emotionally. Um, intimacy for me was solely sexual. To be intimate is to be sexual. That's yeah. uh, right. Uh, so even during our, our intimate moments, Pornography was always present. So, you know, so I go to bed with a cast of thousands. Yeah. Uh, uh, and then on to seminary where it got worse. It was in seminary that I got my first look at hardcore porn. Okay. Uh, on a seminary sponsored trip to New York City, <laughs> the seminary had the brilliant idea to take uh, students and spouses, if spouses wanted to go along, into the heart of Times Square in the late 70s, when it was all just porn shops and X-rated theaters and hookers everywhere, so that we could see firsthand how women are exploited by the sex business. Wow. And I thought, you know, this is exactly what I need. <laughs> I'm, I'm a good guy. Yeah. yeah. If if I can see how ugly it is, right. if I can see how people are being hurt, I'll stop. Right. I brought Allie along. I got my first look at hardcore porn with my wife sitting beside me in the peep show booth. She put the quarter in. Wow. Um, now, she had a healthier response than I did. <laughs> right. Uh, right. <laughs> It was, as I often say, it was as though I, I, I had this mixed response. Yes, I could see that it was all a sham. Yes, I was repelled by it, but at the same time, strangely attracted. It was as though somewhere deep inside me as a door had swung open. Huh. And Can I pause you there for a sec? Yeah. Why is it that 
we cannot reason ourselves out of this because I, I, I can't imagine you're the first person who ever thought yeah. if somebody could just explain to me how terrible porn really is. You know, we've done yeah. episodes talking about sex trafficking and the insidiousness of the industry. And, you know, I think yeah, people yeah. often fall into this thing of like, yeah, they, they think exactly what you thought. I just need to see how terrible this stuff is. That'll that'll repel me. Yeah, that'll be enough yeah, to yeah. convince me. Yeah, 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 yeah. Why does why does that not work? I think it's because it is a somatic response. Um, hmm. We carry memory throughout our bodies, not just in our brain, but throughout our bodies. Right. And when we encounter something that is uh, very pleasurable or highly dangerous, uh, there is what's sometimes called a somatic bookmark, a memory that's implanted within the body, not necessarily in the brain, but within the body. And uh, when we encounter a similar stimulus, the response is instantaneous. Mm, it goes directly to the core of the brain. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's faster than we can think. Mm. Um, and so I, I believe that I, in, another way to think of it is, is the dichotomy between the head and the heart, right? Right. And uh, Jesus always very concerned with the heart. It's out of the heart of a man that his life proceeds, right? Mm. So, uh, but I'm living from the neck up as a smart guy, not understanding that in a tug of war between the head and the heart, the heart always wins. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. I yeah. wasn't. I wasn't deciding to do it. It was decided for me. I would. It was a feeling that triggered the urge, mm. not a thought. Hmm. Now, that's not to say that with time and training and community and connection <laughs> that 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 impulse cannot be intercepted and overridden. It can. Right. But but the thought that I was going to do that all on my own was insane. Yeah. Yeah. That that makes a lot of sense. And I, I think I think you nailed it. Like you can you can be exposed to how terrible it is, but that's all operating at a thought head kind of level. Yes. It's not addressing the hard element of this. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you're in New York city. Uh, it's yeah. getting worse while you're in seminary. Holy crap. I mean, so then I come back, I come back to seminary in Princeton and then, you know, two days later I'm driving down into Newark looking for, or, or not into Newark to Trenton, for uh, although there was a place in Newark too, I I very quickly learned to find the pl the sources for my new drug huh. because I had found my drug. Never been a drugger, never been a drinker at that point, but man, this I had found my drug, hmm. and of course with it a lot of shame, a lot of duplicity, a lot of hiding, and none of it was free. Also. I had to embezzle from the family budget uh, in order even to sustain this thing. Wow. It started, yeah. So, but uh, but I kept it hidden. Uh, <clears throat> but uh, those were the darkest times. <laughs> Seminary was actually the darkest time in my life spiritually. It was really wow. hard on Allie too, because huh. Allie saw me drifting away from her emotionally. I really was connecting with ghosts i was connecting with images right and losing my capacity what capacity there had been to connect with her she saw me drifting away she didn't know what was wrong she thought it was her 
Mm. I thought that's a pretty good explanation. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I went with that. So if only, so maybe, maybe Allie wasn't enough, but that's not true. Right. That's absolutely not true. But uh, then I told myself, so, <laughs> so uh, now we move on. Now I'm pastor. And I've decided that porn is my best defense against infidelity because I love my wife. I've, and I seriously made a promise to be faithful to her right? Uh, for as long as we live. And there's no way in the world that I am ever going to have sex with another person. But porn doesn't count. And porn is a pressure relief valve. And it's I'm actually doing her a favor by, not, by my, now she's having kids. And she's got so much on her plate. And I don't need to burden her with my sexual needs. So, you know, stopping by the adult bookstore is like stopping at McDonald's for a burger to spare her the trouble of cooking that was kind of the rationalizing that i did yeah not aware that porn was grooming me the whole time Hmm. the programming was being set so when the opportunity finally presented itself ironically enough on a christmas eve on my way to lead a candlelight service um uh, we're living in fort lauderdale florida at the time I'm uh, uh, I'm driving east on Broward Boulevard, headed toward downtown to the church uh, when it starts to rain. And I see ahead of me a lone female figure on the sidewalk. And I do what I think is the chivalrous thing to do, pull over to offer her a ride out of the rain. I have no idea what she's doing. Right. She's in the car propositioning me. But at that point... Um, I'd seen that sequence countless times. Right. Right? The projector was running. I didn't even see the person in the car. I saw, it never occurred to me to, to wonder what would put a young lady on the street on Christmas Eve to offer herself to strangers. Right. I never wondered where did she live? What was her home like? Did she have a home? Was she with parents? Was she with a boyfriend, a husband? Did she have kids? Did she have a, never occurred to me she might have a pimp. Right. Right? I was on autopilot at that point. Huh. And when I came to a little later, kind of emotionally, kind of, and, you know, now I've got to lead a Christmas Eve service. That was miserable. Wow. Yeah. Right. And the worst part of that night, even as I promised myself I wouldn't do it again, begged God that I would never do it again, you know. The worst part was in the back of my mind knowing I was going to do it again. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. A somatic marker had been placed. It was a new sensation. Yeah. It It was in the middle of all that squalor. There was pleasure. Hmm. And uh, and so sure enough, you know, that that pattern began. And I could not sustain uh, the ministry under those conditions. Now, I was terrified of being caught, was never caught. But I knew that, you know, big time preachers were all over the news back then. Right. That was the, the big evangelical scandals were going on. That was big news. I wasn't famous yet, but 
you know, I was building a good reputation in South Florida. And all of that, I knew I'd make the paper. I'd make the evening news the day they caught me. Yeah. And the thought that anybody else would ever know was so terrifying that I woke up on my 30th birthday knowing I had to either quit the behavior or quit the ministry. And there was only one I could quit. Wow. <laughs> so so I retired at the age of 30, pled burnout, uh, <laughs> baffled and disappointed the people who loved and trusted me. Yeah. Uh, went into business instead. And, um, but, <laughs> and even though I eventually succeeded in business, even though I was now making far more money than I'd ever made in the ministry with even less accountability. And even though we were always active in church, I never left church. Yeah. Um, Love church. I could be who I wanted to be in church. I just couldn't be that person outside the building. Wow. And, and so life just got darker and darker because now, you know, I was a partner in a business. I had, uh, I had expense count that, you know, nobody was looking over my shoulder. I had plenty of reasons to travel, every excuse in the world to be gone. Right. And, uh, and I just spent enormous amounts of money during those years. Huh. As my life got smaller and smaller, I got sicker and sicker. Allie fell into eventually clinical depression. Um, so it was a very dark decade. And then, thank God, <laughs> we moved at the invitation of our oldest son and his wife to Middle Tennessee. And it was there shortly after we arrived that, um, that Allie caught me uh, downloading porn. Hmm. and um and that was that was <laughs> so she caught me looking at porn it was a very very difficult conversation i pled for a second chance for forgiveness i made lots of promises she agreed but uh it was just a few days later ally found a condom on the floor in the bathroom that i couldn't quite explain and that is when she sat me down on the edge of our bed and she said the words that saved my life. She said, I still love you, but I don't like you. Well, she said, for, before that, she said, I'm done. I'm done, right. she said. Yeah. I still love you, but I don't like you. I don't trust you. I don't respect you. And I don't think you can ever change. And actually, I could have said the same things about myself, maybe. Except I don't think I loved myself. I knew I didn't like myself. Yeah. I knew I didn't respect myself. I knew I didn't think I could change. Yeah. But I was desperate somehow to salvage the only uh, friendship I had with this woman. And I knew if there was going to be a shot, the only shot I had was I was going to have to go for help. Right. So uh, I didn't go to church. <laughs> I was trying to establish us in a new church. I didn't go to the pastor. I'd been a pastor. I didn't trust pastors. I I, uh, <laughs> I, I I didn't go to a therapist. I was out of money. Um, huh. I went back to the internet, to the, um, uh, yeah, Alta Vista search engine. This is pre-Google oh, wow. days, Cynthia. Alta Vista. I haven't okay. heard that one in a yeah, while. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Typed sex addiction Nashville, 
hit return and discovered to my astonishment that I'd apparently moved to the center of the universe for sex addiction recovery. Jeez. Uh, there were therapists. There were 12-step groups. Uh, there was a number I called. Somebody called back, told me where there was a meeting that night at wow. 7 o'clock at church the next town over. Uh, I never made it inside the first meeting. I sat in the parking lot. I, I just couldn't find the courage to get out of my car. Yeah. Uh, the second meeting, I was about to drive away for the second time when I saw a guy I recognized from church. <laughs> oh. Just a guy, just a guy. But there was something about this guy. Um, you know, I heard him speak up a few times in men's Bible studies, and he just, he, he seemed comfortable in his own skin. It didn't seem like he had to impress anybody. But the most striking thing about this guy was he talked about his sin in the present tense. Huh. With no shame. Uh, I followed him inside. And that's where it started for me in that 12-step group. Uh, it would still be a couple of years before I tasted full sexual sobriety. Uh, that was due entirely to my own intellectual and religious arrogance. Uh, I didn't intend to join a group. I came, uh, I'd been on the hunt for the secret information. The, uh, yeah, the, give me, give me the right? goods and let me get out of here. Cause I'm a good, I'm a good student. Uh, right. I'm going to I'm going to master the material quickly. I'm going to I'm going to set the land speed record for recovery. And <laughs> you watch how fast I figure this out and how soon I'm going to be gone. <laughs> and so that set me quite predictably on a path of periodic relapse and then after a couple of years I finally, you know, gave up and joined wow. the group. And <laughs> man, oh man. What a And that's story. when the change began. That's when the change began. And the, the amazing thing about it is that that, even though it was not a Christian group, most of the guys in there were, like me, refugees from church. They were most of them Christians anyway. Yeah. Um, even though I wasn't allowed to use Christian language, it sparked a spiritual rebirth in me. Huh. God became alive in a way he'd never been alive before. The mm. Bible changed. Holy smokes. I started seeing stuff I'd never seen. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, you know, eventually uh, I'd lost enough shame that I told my story to my pastor, said he could <laughs> refer anybody to me, thought it might be able to help. My phone started to ring. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out I was not the only guy in the church with this struggle. Wow. I wasn't anywhere near unique, right? Yeah. <laughs> yes. And, uh, and so within just a few years, a dozen of us had gotten together to start our own group. Not a 12-step group, but we borrowed many of the practices and principles of 12-step recovery, but yes. incorporated, you know, this great legacy of the Christian faith. Because Christians oh, yeah. have been battling this <laughs> stuff forever, right? Yes. And um, uh, yeah, and we started the Samson Society. And that's it's just been an exciting an exciting road the whole time. Oh, yeah. So yeah, you guys are you're changing lives with Samson Society. It's it's incredible. So um I guess I have to ask, and we, we were having a conversation before we hit record 
about uh-huh. the complexities of recovery, how yeah. we have this natural propensity for like, like, like you were saying, give me the goods yeah, or yeah. give me, give yeah, me the three yeah. principles and then perfect. I'm good to go. Yeah. Um, so I hope, I hope I don't pigeonhole you with this question, but I guess, I guess my question would be, you know, when you do reflect on the part of your journey where you did start to transform, where mm-hmm. things really did start to change. Uh, are, are there one or two things in particular that that for you were extremely impactful and you could pretty confidently yeah. say, if I would have discovered those things, I would probably yeah. still be addicted today? Yes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I would say the foundational uh, insight, and, and it, <laughs> it boiled down to surrender for me because it was a hard truth to accept. Huh. Uh, what was the hard that, truth to accept? The hard truth to accept was no man recovers alone. Mm. Uh, see, I'd always had a, a personal relationship with Christ since I was a little kid getting saved every summer. Uh, but I had made the mistake of, th- of, of thinking that my personal relationship was a private one. And I had spent years begging God for a private solution to my private problem, not understanding that that goes counter to the way Jesus did things. He first said, uh. follow me to two guys not just one, and quickly added 10 more to them, had them follow him around together, right? I, yeah. It is, right? He came to reconstitute the family of God, to reconcile us to God and to each other. We're told in scripture that n- none of us are alone. We're all part of a body. We're members, not of an organization, but of an organism whose members are so closely connected we can only move together. Yeah. Now, I... I didn't want that. When I said I wanted to be freed from this thing, as I'm screaming to God for freedom, for relief, yeah, I really didn't want freedom. What I wanted was moral self-sufficiency. Huh. And I wanted to be able to keep my shame. Yeah. I wanted to still be able to hide uh, because that felt safe to me. Mm. And And frankly, church had not always felt safe to me. And rarely had I I knew it was safe as long as I was behaving in certain ways. But if I showed if I showed some failures, I'd been given the left foot of fellowship. Right. So um, so I really it was a combination of pride. I want to be able to do this on my own fear, fear that if anybody if I let anybody actually see me. I'll be rejected. Uh, That kept me on this private course. But when finally in desperation, when I ran out of all other options, yeah, when I finally made the emotional decision to join the group, to get a sponsor, I had sponsors before, but they were sponsors in name only. I was always my own sponsor and they got highly curated, edited versions of what was going on in my life, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and I took whatever they said under advisement. But, uh, <laughs> right. Yeah. But, but now to step in and say, I need help. I can't do this on my own. Here's the whole truth. I, I remember this, man. I remember sitting down to do a first step with a sponsor, my first sponsor, when I really got serious about a sponsor. And so I'd written out this full sexual history. And for this time, now I'd finally gotten specific. I'm not talking vaguely anymore. Okay. And, and and I've got pages and pages that I've written. And, and he, we meet at a park. We're sitting side by side on a bench. My hands are shaking. I'm sweating, you know. 
take a deep breath. And he says, wait, he says, before we start, what's the one thing you didn't write down? <laughs> like, who's been talking to you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I said, what do you mean? What, what, he said, the thing. I said, what makes you think that? He says, there's always something. What is it? That was a critical moment. Huh. And I said, so I told him. And he said, good. Thank you. Now, read the rest of it. So it's, yeah, I would say, you know, for me, in the beginning of the journey, I, I came into the rooms thinking that recovery is repentance. That's the only formula I had. But I'd been repenting over and over, a spinning top. I, I quit a thousand times. I just couldn't stay stopped, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. But I thought maybe if I just repent harder. Well, that didn't work. Yeah. Then, then, it, then I finally learned that we do this together. It's a communal thing. It is true. The opposite of addiction is connection. Yeah. Behind my sex addiction was this need, this deep need for intimacy, for connection. Huh. Um, and that is true. And that really galvanized, that really, that was liftoff for me. Now, since then, I've learned that while that is true, that's not the whole truth. There's more to the story. Recovery mm. is even more complex to that. There are deeper connections. So I've learned, you know, the next thing to learn was when I first got started in recovery, nobody was talking about trauma at all. No. No. No, not I, at all. It was a revelation when, when I ran into somebody. I ran into a guy who I knew from meetings who had now become a therapist. I said, hey, I hear you're doing therapy. It's good. I said, you're... He says, yep, doing a lot of work. I said, doing a lot of work on sex. I said, almost exclusively that and uh, trauma. And I said, oh, trauma. Yeah, I, they go together sometimes. He said, no, Nate, they always go together. <laughs> now, what? So to come to understand that, that um, I developed this addictive behavior as a maladaptive response to trauma. And while I may gain victory over the behavior, um, that urge is always going to be there whenever that, until that trauma is healed. Mm, right. That urge will always be triggered. Yeah. When there is an echo of the trauma. Huh. Right? Yeah. That, that's been huge. So that got me into trauma therapy and... Uh, and so now I figure I got it all. I got it all. So it's it's not just repentance and it's not just community, but it's those and trauma. Hmm. Okay. Well, I now come to believe that there's even more to it. Uh, I don't know. If, uh, you. I'm certain you've read Maya Salowitz's book, Unbroken Brain. I haven't she, read it. A, no. Oh, former, former crack addict and a brilliant uh, theorist. Uh, uh, and a terrific writer. What, what's it she called? Makes I'll make sure unbroken we put it in brain. Unbroken, unbroken brain. brain. Okay. Yeah. Now she's not a Christian. Okay. It's a very compelling story. Though. Okay. She makes the case and makes it compellingly that uh, we become addicts because the brain does what it is designed to do, which is to conserve energy by automating all regular activity, repetitive activity. 
And especially, mm. especially if that if that activity is a life-saving response. Right. So, okay. So it automates it so that we don't have to think about it anymore. That's why uh, uh, I'm, I'm working now on the video version of an audio uh, podcast I did years ago called Walking Lessons. Oh, cool. for Christians who for Christians who sometimes fall down. I didn't <laughs> fully appreciate when I when I titled that podcast how much recovery is like learning to walk. Mm. And it requires a lot of attention and and safety and and falling down is part of the process. Right. When you're learning to walk, right? Yeah. I, I I'm more and more convinced that relapse is not inevitable but it is normative. Right. Right? Yes. It's part of learning. That's so God knew that. Uh we learn to walk. It takes it takes a good year to learn to walk. There are stages to get there. But until yeah. you learn to walk, you got short legs, you got soft bones, you got a padded bottom because <laughs> you're never going to have far to go. Those legs don't yeah. grow until walking, all the skills involved in walking balance. Balance is absolutely fascinating to me. Yeah. Until that becomes so automated that you do it without thinking. Well, what has happened to us as addicts is that behavior became automated. It's a learned activity. It We learned it to the point where we learned to do it without thinking. Right. So now I know I spent years doing irrational things for non-rational reasons, trying to solve the problem by rational means. Doesn't mm. work. Hmm. But the wonderful thing about being in a healthy recovery community, whatever that community is, and now we have lots of options. Samson yeah. Society is just one of them. Right. Um, within that safe community, we get not only instruction, not just teaching, but coaching and company. And then mm. we get thing we get guardrails too from things like covenant eyes. It's like it's like training wheels on your bike when you're learning to ride it right yeah uh uh-huh uh-huh uh, so it, it's very so there is a facet of habit formation there there are things we can learn about how to break habits and build habits that while those things alone are not adequate for recovery there they're true, but they're not the whole truth, but they're an essential part of the truth. And there is a place to actually put our attention to habit formation. Anyway, that's yeah. where I am today. And I can't wait to see what else is going to reveal itself down the road. Yeah, no, it's a, it, it's amazing. There, there's a lot to unpack there and a lot to take on. So um, a, a couple of follow-up questions. What does yeah. your marriage look like all these years later? Because uh, you mentioned the erosion of the trust in the relationship. <laughs> Your wife yeah. doesn't respect you. She doesn't like you. You know all yeah, of that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, where, yeah. where are things at today? And how did you heal that part? Oh man, we're closer than we've ever been. It was, uh, you know, Allie does say she's been married to two guys named mm. Nate Larkin. So uh, and mm. and she does not. You know, if if that's what it took for us to get where we are, she'd take it again in a heartbeat. Yeah. Wow. That's quite a statement. Um, now, my wife is a Christian woman. My wife has done her own work. My wife believes that she and I are sinners in equal need of grace. She's not above me. Yeah. Uh, she was always faithful to me, even while I was unfaithful to her for so long. Uh, 
Yeah. But that, but but she doesn't hold that over me. Um, it was a rough couple of years. I'll tell you what. I slept in the closet for the first two years. It was it right. was it was tough for a while. Yeah. Allie did. Allie did not just, you know, instantly give her trust back. Yeah. Uh, but today, I trust her completely, and she trusts me. Uh, we're growing old together faster than we'd like, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> we have side by side recliners now. Uh, <laughs> That's amazing. That's a visual right there. Okay, <laughs> but 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 the but the family is still intact, and, yeah. and I I am so grateful for that. That is not a guaranteed outcome by any means. Yeah, sure. Nor nor should it be. Right. Not every marriage needs to survive. And I tell guys, I do, my favorite part of doing Samson Society is doing newcomer meetings and doing intake and, you know, meeting with guys right after they've hit the wall. Right. Yeah. And what I love. And, and most of those guys are married, desperate to save their marriage. And, uh, and I and I try to tell them, look, focus on your own work. That's mm. the best shot you have of the marriage surviving. Uh -huh. I don't know whether it should. I don't know whether it will. Many marriages do. But not all. Not every marriage survives. Yeah. But every man does. Yeah. Every man does. Yeah. And this is about saving your life. And then uh, and then we always see that that healing spreads. Even if that marriage doesn't survive, we do see healing spread throughout the family. That's certainly the case in mine. So Allie and I have got three kids and seven grandkids and a, a family that, by the grace of God, is still intact. Wow. And here's the other thing. Because I don't hide my sin uh, and uh, because I'm so grateful for recovery yeah. and talk about it a lot. I'm the safest guy. My kids know, I think. Yeah. So they, they tell me stuff they never told me. Right. Uh, back in the day. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that, well, that's, that's lost a little bit. I'm, I'm glad you're mentioning that because that's one thing I always encourage parents. I'm not a parent myself. I don't try to pretend I know anything about parenting, but I can say the one thing that would have certainly helped me as a kid growing up would have been my dad's openness about his own difficulties in this area. So I, I think yeah, that's amazing yeah. you're doing that. Yeah. Um, let, let me ask you. So I think, um, I think a lot of people, their ears might have just been perked by what you just said. So you have a, I would say, a special attention for people who are new in the recovery process. Mm -hmm. What are so okay? So you'll you'll set some expectations around their marriage. Really make yeah. sure that their focus is on them. This isn't about yeah. saving the marriage. This is about you getting the stuff that you need to get done um, right. and getting your healing. What are some other things that you would say to people who are beginning the journey? What are some do's and some do nots that are going to position them for success? Well, I think it's it's I think it's important to have realistic expectations. Okay, what, uh, what are realistic expectations? This, this, it, this is a process. First of all, um, it's quite likely that when you first come in, in that first rush, when you come in, you discover that uh, these healing opportunities, freedom opportunities, you're, you're still coming off the disgust of your last binge. And now you get this hope. It's quite possible that you will experience what the old alcoholics call the pink cloud. Right. <laughs> okay. And it's like, wow, I'm cured. This is it. I have all the answers and it's fixed. Yeah. See you later. Oh, yeah, this has been yeah. great. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 
Um, and if you're like me, you're going to start selling this before you own it. I mean, I've, I was a, <laughs> I, I, I was a I was a big preacher of recovery uh, before uh, my recovery had really uh, gotten a lot of traction because yeah. I knew it was true, right? I knew it was true. Yep. And yep. I'd experienced enough of it to see that it was transformational, but I was absolutely stunned by my first relapse. It came out of nowhere. Hmm. And, and because I hadn't been prepared for it, uh, it was very discouraging. Huh. It's like, Oh crap. You know, maybe this, maybe this isn't it. Hmm. So it's important to set expectations that the urge will not disappear. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, relapse is not inevitable. There are a few unicorns out there who, who, who get it from day one, Yep. from their very first meeting, they never relapse. I do. There are a couple guys who send me a text annually on the anniversary of their first walk with me to tell me it's been X number of years, right? Yeah. Wow. Okay. But only a couple. And I've talked yeah. to at this point, thousands of guys. Right? They're the exception, not the rule. That's right. Yeah. Uh, so uh, if relapse comes, you know, the rule, n- rule number one is don't hide. You're now in a safe community. Uh, run to, uh, to, to tell about it, to, yeah. to confess it, to, to get with. Uh, so, yeah. So. I tell you, you know, first order of business, start going to meetings. Second order of business, get your sponsor or what we call in the Samson Society, a Silas, the one guy you are connecting with every day. Hmm. And the other thing I I, uh, emphasize is I would say this is not an accountability partner. Yes. Okay. Um, I tried accountability, shame-based accountability. (laughs) back in the day uh and and the way it worked was i'd get together with you know we'd be some kind of a message that hinted about sexual integrity and i'd get with a few guys and we would make these promises we talk in code very careful because yeah uh, right unless you be Uh, too vulnerable with each other uh, that's right that's right (laughs) and and promise now we're going to get together once a week and uh ask each other the tough questions well, by the first meeting, I was always lying. Right. I mean, the whole arrangement, first of all, was based on the insane assumption that I could hold it together on my own for an entire week. Yeah. Right? <laughs> right? As deep in the weeds as I was, that was impossible. Yeah. And I didn't want to lose status in the group, so that didn't work. Uh, we prefer to do what Mike use the Michael Cusick's terminology. Rather than talk about accountability, we talk about accessibility. Am I willing to give another man real-time access to my life, all of my life? It's not just I'm going to report daily on whether or not I've crossed the sexual line. Right. But am I going to talk to him about, we kind of have a four-point check-in that we encourage guys to follow. Get with your Silas every day in one way or another and let him know what you're feeling, what you're thinking, what you're doing. And what you're thinking of doing, feeling, <laughs> feeling, doing, uh, feeling, thinking, doing, and thinking of doing. Um, so when I get to an, when I can allow another guy to learn my story, because I tell him, 
And I let him in on my life and he gets to know what my dreams are and what my hopes are and what my fears are and what my stresses are, what my routines are. Um, yes, he he's in process himself. He's not an expert. Uh, he's not an authority. But his primary qualification for this job is he's not me. Huh. Uh, right? Yeah. There are whole parts of my life I can't see because I'm inside it. On my own life, on my own, I, I walk in circles, but with another man, I can walk in straight line. So here's the guy yeah. who, here's the guy who gets to know me because I let him. And he's the guy who will remember the things that I tend to forget. Right. And he'll ask the questions that I tend to avoid. He might pick up on a pattern that I just haven't seen. And mostly what he's going to do is he's going to remind me who I really am. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And here's the thing. He benefits at least as much from this relationship as I do. I found that hard to believe early on. I, I, I didn't want to ask a sponsor because I thought I was asking the world, you know, yeah. and, and, and I knew that he was doing me this massive favor and I'm a huge inconvenience. What I did not understand until I became a sponsor was that it helps me to get a phone call from another. I need to get out of my own head for a few minutes and listen to and care about somebody else. And, and very often, the very thing I need to hear is the thing I hear myself saying to him. Yeah, right, right, right. right. So, so, uh, so I say, you know, get yourself a get start going to meetings and get yourself a sponsor or a Silas. And in Samson, I describe a Silas simply as another idiot walking in the same direction. <laughs> Right? I love that. Yeah. 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 And we do this together. We do this together as Christians trusting in the unseen presence. Mm. We believe because the Bible says that when two or three of us are gathered in his name, he's there. That's right. Right. Yep. And so it's that unseen presence now that we, and, and we're giving up our illusions of independence we're accepting, we're getting right-sized, we're embracing humility, we're making, we're becoming another bozo on the bus, we're making the hard decision to join the human race, and yeah. ask, okay, and now, in that humility, walking together as created beings, trusting our creator, it is phenomenal how that simple change changes everything. Yeah. Now, something organic begins to happen healing starts to come growth begins to come it's progressive yes but that doesn't make it any less miraculous no it's miraculous in the same way that's miraculous away a bone a, a broken bone will mend it doesn't do it instantly it takes time but that's a freaking miracle yeah <laughs> it requires some stability and some care during the process right yeah and it's going to need some physical rehab yeah but that's a freaking miracle. Hmm. And, and that's what recovery is. It is this progressive miracle. It's a healing process. Yeah. And, and the healing is, is bigger than what we bargained for. Because I find out that, that, that um, I'm getting healthier in lots of ways. I didn't even realize I was unhealthy. I'm eating better. <laughs> yeah. I'm sleeping better. I'm making yeah. a lot better choices. I'm spending my money better. I'm making more, you know, it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it, I think it's inevitable when you approach healing from the inside out, like how could it not impact all these other areas of your life? Um, 
It's amazing, man. Amazing. So uh, can you tell us what is Samson Society? Because you're doing incredible things in there. Anybody I know who has participated in one way or the other raves about what you're doing and you really have created a, a movement here. This is not, it's no longer the group of 12 that this may be yeah, started yeah, yeah, as. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, tell yeah, us a bit yeah. about Samson Society and how people could plug in. Yeah, well, since since we put out the book Samson and the Pirate Monks back in 2007, hoping to inspire some other guys to do what we were doing, uh, more than 500 local groups have started. Wow. But we made the decision fortuitously, uh, providentially, we made the decision about a year before, year and a half before the pandemic hit to, t- to start meetings online. Okay. Um. And uh, with a goal, our goal is for there to be at least one meeting every hour of every day. So that okay. no matter where a guy is in the world or where he is in the globe, brothers will always be just a click away. Now, we're still a good distance from that goal, but we've made tremendous progress in the last couple of years. So uh, already multiple meetings every day, all of them hosted by volunteers, meetings already in six languages as Samson quickly is going global. Um so anybody can join. However, uh, the the only we want to we we want to keep those virtual groups safe. So the only way you can get into a virtual group is to first attend a newcomer meeting, and there's at least one every day. Okay, that will give you a full orientation. We get to meet you. You get to meet us. We need to uh, confirm that you're a real person, and yeah. not a robot, <laughs> that you're there for recovery and not for some other agenda. True. Uh, yeah, if you pass inspection and we pass inspection and we both agree it'd be good for you to join the Samson Society, uh, you'll get a link that'll get you into the fellowship and you can start to make friends. And wow. here's the thing I've noticed. Here's what I've noticed. I-, I thought that the guys in virtual meetings would never be as tight as the guys I knew in Franklin, Tennessee. It has turned out to be quite the other way around. <laughs> maybe, maybe it's easier for guys who don't live in the same town to tell the truth to each other more quickly. Maybe it's, maybe it feels safer. I don't know. Yeah. But I will tell you the relationships have formed, the deep friendships that form between guys, the teams that emerge from these relationships are absolutely stunning. And when we have our big national retreat and the next one comes up in the November of this year at Sky Ranch in Texas, yeah. the best part of the retreat for me <laughs> is watching guys hug their best friend for the first time. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Oh man. I know what you're talking yeah. about. That's yeah, that's a wild feeling, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So so anybody can join. All they got to do is go to it's mail only. However, one of the wonderful things that's happened in the last couple of years quite spontaneously is that the the, the partners, the wives and girlfriends of Samson guys have started their own organization patterned after ours called Fun. the Sarah Society. Oh. And it's support for the partners of uh, Samson guys. Okay. But anyway, uh, they can find out about both of them by going to samsonsociety.org. No P in Samson, by the way. Yes. About half the people typing and want to put a P there, but it's S-A-M-S-O-N, samsonsociety.org. Yeah, that's amazing. We'll put links in the show notes to all of this. Uh, Nate, the great Larkin, thank you so much for your time today, man. Really appreciate this. Thank you. And thank you for indulging me in my very long answers. That's what happens. You invite an old preacher on the show. He'll talk your ear <laughs> off. Comes with the territory, man. But this was, this was a gem. Thank you again. Okay, thanks. Bye. All right. Well, there you have it. That's my conversation with Nate Larkin. 
Um, I don't know what else to say other than the guy is spectacular and there's so much to learn from him. We put links in the show notes to everything. So we talked about The Unbroken Brain, um, that book. He hasn't written that. That was written by someone else. But he wrote, um, Pir- uh, sorry, Samson and the Pyre Monks and then Samson Society. Guys, go check this stuff out. Um, there's just it, the barrier to entry with these guys is incredibly low. They've been very intentional that way. And that explains why they've been able to have such a reach. And so if maybe you don't have the resources to invest in a program like ours or some of the other programs out there, but you do want to get help, you do want to plug into a community. This is your chance, man. Samson Society is absolutely incredible. Um, and if you do know that, you know, maybe you do need to actually put a little bit of skin in the game that you do want it to cost you something. Uh, maybe maybe you understand that when you do invest financial resources, tend, you tend to respond differently or take it more seriously. Then uh, I'd love for you to consider Deep Clean. This is kind of the program that I piloted about four years ago. We've, we've helped thousands of men get clean through this system. And it's very simple. We focus on getting to the roots of the issue. So this is not some self-help system. This is not some, um, you know, like quick habit formations or behavior modification. God has given me a revelation on how to systematically lead people into places where their hearts are transformed, their identities are revealed, and they're able to build skills that are necessary to make a complete recovery. So if that sounds up your alley, I put a link in the show notes for you to book a time with somebody on my team. We would love to speak with you and see if we're a good fit. It's no pressure at all. And really, uh, to be honest, we turned down, uh, I don't know, probably 50, 60% of the people that even just schedule a call with us because we can tell from the applications, hey, this probably isn't going to be quite the right the right fit for you. So uh, you have nothing to lose by going through the process, following the links. And uh, if it works out for us to, to speak together, then, uh, we, then we'll do that and uh, we'll take it from there. So links in the show notes, guys. Thank you so much again for listening. Hope you have an amazing day. We'll talk soon. Bye-bye. Hey everybody, it's Thea again. Thanks for listening to Unleash the Man Within. I wanted to take a quick moment to let you know about a free ebook that I wrote for you called The Ultimate Guide to Porn Recovery. It provides a basic framework for the recovery process and a few of my top tips completely free of charge. You can get it now at www.ultimaterecoveryguide.com. That's www.ultimaterecoveryguide.com. Now, if you've been impacted by the podcast and you want to show some support in less than 60 seconds, there are three ways you can do that. First, you can leave a rating or review on your podcast platform. This lets people like you know that the content here is valuable. Secondly, you can share this episode with someone in your life that might benefit from the content. If you're passionate about helping other people experience freedom and success in their lives, this is one of the easiest ways to do that. And lastly, you can subscribe. I personally only listen to the podcast that I subscribe to. If you're seeking daily encouragement, guidance, and insight in your recovery journey, I highly recommend subscribing to Unleash the Man Within. Thanks for listening. I look forward to connecting with you very, very soon. The information, opinions, and recommendations presented in this podcast by Sathya Sam and his guests are for general information only and should not be considered medical, clinical, or any other form of professional advice. Any reliance on the information provided is done at your own risk.